That's your decision now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Yeah, what are you guys doing here? Anyway, we're freaking creating epic content, dude. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. man. That's good. That's good to know. It was an awesome few days. We we got a lot of sweet content for obviously Black Rifle. Yeah. Uh, did some unbelievable. You were actually at the best end of that whole deal, as expected. Of course, you are, but you literally ate freaking eight rad dishes. Yeah. So we we. We have to talk about what we did. Uh, I think you caught some of it, didn't you? Oh, yeah, so absolutely. Michael Shea, everybody, for those of you that don't know who he is. Uh, what, what's your job? I, what am I doing here? Yeah, what, what do you do with your know. hands? What's your what name? You who, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mike Shea. I'm with uh, uh, Free Range American, of mm-hmm. course. Thanks to you. You know, Black Rifle Coffees, outdoor hunting, fishing, shooting, kind of mark media push. And right. we're killing it and I was out here at the ranch with you guys and we were making some videos and shooting some bows and just living it up. So John Honestly. Dudley and Mike Shea, so the cool thing is they're on the other side of the table, but they know way more about fucking hunting than than, than I do. Uh I know how to shoot things with with rifles and pistols relatively well. Uh they know how to actually do the things Required it to take an animal, um, you know, put it on a table, eat it, which is what we did, partly of what we did. But a lot of you guys know him, uh, John, because he's been on multiple podcasts. You know that we, we do a ton of stuff together. This is an introduction to uh, Mr. Shea. So tell us, I already know all this, but tell the audience where you came from and what you were doing before you came over here. Yeah, right on. So, um, so like way back, mm-hmm. I was originally uh, a newspaper reporter. That was kind of my first job. And then I started duck hunting. I was actually on an assignment in California. I was fishing. I grew up fishing, doing right. outdoor shit my whole life, but didn't hunt. And I was on a salmon trip and there was this guy on the boat and uh, he started busting my balls for working for a liberal newspaper. Which newspaper he, was it? I was working for the Modesto Bee. In California. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just classic, like, you know, he's ranting and raving about Hillary and like the liberal <laughs> newspaper. And it was back then. And he said, you guys don't even cover deer season anymore. And that's like a holiday out here because it was rural California. Yeah. And I was so sick of his like bullshit. I was just like, dude, take me fucking deer hunting and I'll write about it. Right. And he was like, I'm a hunting education instructor. Like literally, I was, really? I was 23 years old. Yeah, yeah. So I always did outdoor shit, but never hunted. Long story short, I got a hunting, I did a story on a first duck hunt and I was in a blind and I just canvas back came through. It was like my third duck hunt, like 40 yards, just like no mind. It was kind of like what we were talking about before, about like that kind of Zen moment of shooting a bow. And I just popped up and boom, dumped this bird. And the dog brought it back. It was the first canvas back killed out of that blind in like three or four years. And it was like, it was literally like I was a bass and the hook got set. I was like, <laughs> holy fuck, I got to do more of this. <laughs> like, <clears throat> I don't know what this is, but I got to, I got to chase it. And then, so like newspapers fell apart. I went to grad school in New York city and a guy came into this writing class I was in and he was like, dude, outdoor life is looking for an intern. And I was like, 
I would be perfect. And I wrote him a letter because I was in this, you know, fancy writing program. And I right. was like, I love to duck on and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, to shorten up the story, I ended up interning at Outdoor Life and Field and Stream. And I basically just didn't leave. And I worked there as a staff video guy. I did a bunch of their video productions really? for a while. Yep. Then uh, basically uh, went from there to freelance, then worked up to like an editor at large position for for FS, which is basically like you're you're like a, a, a like tier one freelancer for mm-hmm. them. I was doing big video packages, big uh, feature magazine packages. But really what it, what it was, like all that career bullshit was a, a conduit for me who was like a broke writer to be in the field and Got hunt it. and fish. And right. like by writing about the outdoors, like I was able to participate in the outdoors and I just chased it, you know, and like knew Marty, knew what you guys were up to at FRA. And uh, he said, Black Rifle wants to push into like outdoor media. And obviously I knew you guys and loved you guys. So I was like, yeah, like, let's do this, you know? <laughs> it's your dream job, bro. <laughs> like the, you don't even know it yet. I mean, you probably do, but. Like the opportunity here to like start something new and like not be hooked up to like the advertising model, like go online and look up like a gun caliber story. Yeah, yeah. You're just getting like fucking bombarded with pop-up videos and banner ads. It's like a terrible experience. Terrible. Whereas here, you know, we we have a clean box, like we're doing real content and like the idea that you want to grow this, I think it says a lot about you and a lot about the company that you guys love this stuff and you want to promote it and put it out there and just share that information, show those videos, show how like vets can get into like the healing side of it. Like it's just, it's so fucking dope, man. I'm, yeah. I'm grateful. Well, and this is a, such a good episode because John, we, we have the entire Genesis excluding Andy because Andy obviously was an integral part of this with John because they started Free Range American yeah, my backyard shooting archery. Yeah. So tell us the story of you starting it and then how it, how it even came to be. Well, Andy obviously was coming out of the military and he's done some super awesome stuff. I mean, you know, yeah, Andy Stump. You know, freaking did the CrossFit thing, freaking decided to fly jets, you know, got certified with that. Obviously wingsuited all over the freaking world, you know, jumped all over the place and was, you know, a badass seal. And just an all-around really cool dude. But he was also, you know, I think looking for something. And when he, when he got into archery, uh, he, well, we met, we met in Vegas. And then um, he called me right, I think he might have been on the way to the CrossFit Games in Madison. And I said, hey, dude, that's only, you know, four hours for me stay an extra day and drive down and let's do a freaking session in the, you know, at the house. And so he came down and we were shooting in the backyard and I was like kind of telling Andy, you know, you have so much cool stuff happening. You need to like put this in front of people. And somehow we were talking about just like, you know, he's like, no, not I'm just a dude. And I'm like, no, you need to, you need to talk about like, this is what everyone loves about you. You've got to like bring it forward. And he just said, he's like, he's like, I'm just a dude. I'm just like a free ranging American. And I go, I said, well, that's the brand. 
I said, free, free ranging American. I said, because our network of friends, that's what we all are. I'm like, that's it. We all are free ranging American, just in different demographics of totally awesome stuff. And, you know, I said, he goes, he said, uh, I think he said, well, why don't, he's like, well, why don't you just do something like that? You know, why don't you just do it? He's like, just take that word and do something with it. And I said, no, it's a partnership. So I said, if you want to do it, let's just do it together. And we'll, I said, we've got so many friends that are from awesome facets of life. Let's, you know, bring all those different people forward to the, to the whole community to where people, you know, regardless of what you're doing, if you're freaking awesome at it, then you're like part of, you know, free ranging Americans. And then Evan, you know, after a year of me and Andy, like picking away at it and both having our own thing going, like Evan was just getting into like bow hunting too. Cause I took, was your first one when I took you to Oklahoma, me, you, Trevor? Yep. Yeah. That was the me, first you, Trevor, one. Barklow, Torsten? No, uh, Andy was there too. So it and was, Andy. Uh, Andy, so Andy Stump, Trevor Thompson, John Barklow, uh, Torsten, you, Chad Ward cooked for Chad. us. Chad, yeah, you're right. That that was it. And it's just like, okay, this was was Jim Miller there? No, okay, wasn't there? Yeah. So I mean, Evan was immediately hooked. Like when he shot his first hog, I've got that picture. I, I freaking love it. Me, him, and Andy behind this hog because like he had to take a dump. Like we're, I knew where the hogs were. They're in this like little thing and. And Evan's just like walking me and Andy. Andy's going like, when he comes full draw, I'm going to yell. Like, you know, Andy's tr- <laughs> yeah. Andy's trying to figure out a way to screw his buddy, which is pretty common. He's whispering in my ear. He's like, yeah. don't fuck this up. <laughs> don't fuck this up. Yeah. I'm like, ah. Uh. So I'm at like full draw. No, but before that, we were like 100 yards away. And you're yeah. like, guys, I'm going to, I got to take a dump. I so he comes so back. Bottles opened this, up. He's got this big pocket knife. Like I don't even know how you cut behind your back with a pocket <laughs> knife, but there's this big rip like that where he freaking. And then and then I'm like, hurry up, hurry up, and we freaking stalked in and pick it up. Wait, he yeah. cut his shirt with the pocket knife? Well, yeah, get, I did because like, there was I no learned TV. this. I learned you this to get I'll, to your ass. Or I'll, you- I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 give you guys the the photos so you guys can see them. I cut out. This big square out of a brown T-shirt, oh, so I, I could you. wipe my ass, <laughs> and uh, and then I, I think I had that cheese dick smile. You guys were taking photos of me, and I was filming Andy as he was like trying to cross this creek without getting wet, and it was like <laughs> you're like a cat trying to not jump into the water. He's, he's there's like, a barbed wire for his feet yeah. and a barbed wire for his top, and and the creeks like. Honestly, as small as this table. You like, could jump over it. You could yeah. jump it, but like he was <laughs> trying to pull this maneuver and I'm just like straddling this thing going like, is this what seals do? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like a Bud's freaking doesn't, doesn't training tactic of like balancing on this barbed wire for five feet. <laughs> we, yeah, because we, and we'd been hunting for all week. So we were hunting yeah. all, all week and it was spot and stock pigs and... But we were putting corn out. We were doing, yeah, you know, we were chumming I have a, we were I have a theory them. about bow hunting hogs. And I think anybody who wants to get good at archery they, should just go do a hog hunt. Yeah. Yep. Because they do a couple things, right? Like they are hard 
to, they don't slow down. So they're twitchy. They're always moving. They have really small vitals. Oh, thank you. Oh, nice. Um, nice job. Pigs are like twitchy. They're always moving. They have really small vitals. They don't bleed well. So you got to make a good shot. Even if you make a good shot, you're going to get tough. a lesson in blood trailing. Yep. Like all the stuff you need if you kind of level up to deer and elk. Like you can kind of training camp that on pigs. Yeah. And you know, like you go to a place in Texas— like you can literally like shoot one and then move to another feeder and shoot another one and yeah. stack up a half a dozen shots within two days. Yeah. Get that, get that kill experience. Yeah. Experience yeah. is one of the hardest things with, you know, with hunting. Um, it, you know, you, the thing is like, you're only going to learn when you make a mistake a lot of times. And, and in some things like elk, you might have you might hunt a whole season to have one chance, and if you blow it, now you've got a year to like think about all that. And let's say the next year it takes you two weeks, and you have another thing. And let's say that time you learn the lesson of like not moving when they're looking at you, or worse yeah, and yet, you blew two weeks. Not being it like I, I've I've talked about in hunting, you have to like learn to be fast, be still, and like for hogs, a perfect example. If their ears are moving, you can move. Mm -hmm. If their ears stop, even if their head's down, they're look like they're looking something like so. Like if their ears are flapping like this, they are focused on feeding, and you can move. But as soon as those stop, then you need to like recognize he's he knows something's up, or he might just be stopping to listen. But just having that experience of like knowing what screws up movement, knowing how I screwed up for, I didn't move fast enough to get in position. Like I was trying to, I was being too, too cautious. And then there's, did I draw, did I put myself in a position where I could move without them seeing me? And then there's the wind. And the wind and is what, if you have the wind on a pig, like you have an, you have a, a huge advantage. Like you can If you guess, don't have it, you have a 0%. Zero chance, right? <laughs> zero chance. Right. And right. the same is true, like on, you know, I feel like the segue is like spot and stalk hogs, spot and stalk bears. Like that's a really good, mm. you know, two really good like entry level stalking situations. Yeah. Because if you can't, if you can't kill like a, a hog or a bear spot in stock, a mule deer is going to be very close to impossible for you. And then a whitetail would be on like another yeah, level yeah. than that. Yeah, ground game whitetail. So that's mule deer level. are, they're less difficult than whitetail? Is, yeah. that, is that what you on said? On the ground. On the ground. Yeah, 100%. Really? Yep. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 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 Why? Why? I mean, do you know? Well, the, I think there's like two reasons. One for whatever reason, mule deer don't recognize that their racks really freaking screw them over oh. because a whitetail can get down in something and he feels like he's in cover. Right. And he is. But like a mule deer gets down, like could bed down in something and there's these huge tops. And, you know, a lot, of, if you spend enough time behind glass, you can find bedded muleys. If you, you know, some guys out west, legit guys can pick out velvet like unreal through yeah. a spotting scope. Yeah, and if you have the wind and can walk quietly and can get in, you can get into position on a mule deer where you're just going to sit and wait. 
and you'll sit there and wait for him to stand up. Maybe it's all day. And eventually that deer will come off the bed and stand up and you can make a shot on them. Whereas with whitetail, it's just they're, they're twitchier, you know, uh, like they're not going to be so solid in the bed. And, you right. know, they're, um, the other thing, like mule deer, for whatever reason, have this like genetic defect where they'll booger, like if you bust them, they'll bust to like anywhere 40 to 60 yards, then stop they and look at look. you. They want to see what you are. Huh. So if you're a bow hunter and you yeah. know that and have that experience, you busted that deer out. Pull back. You're drawing and he's running and you're just waiting to stop. Huh. You know, whereas a whitetail, you bust a whitetail out, like he's gone. gone. Yeah, your yeah. your neighbor won't even see that. Deer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you don't get that shot on yeah, that whitetail. You, you do not get yeah. it. But I think like circling back to your to your point with FRA, it was uh it was a vision of Evans because we went, I think we went, we went up in the mountains together. Actually, me, Trevor, and Shaz went up that day with Logie. Yep. And we uh, we made coffee. Yeah, that's we right. We kind of, you mm-hmm. know, Trevor had his Toyota. Yeah, we up and, in uh, and, Utah. Yeah, we were all up there. And we went and like, remember I made, <laughs> like we had like a pack of mini hot dogs. Remember yeah, those? Yeah. All we had was like, someone had a bag of chips. Someone had some mini hot dogs. And, and we found like an old thing of mustard in a, in a cabinet in that right. cabin. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Slicing the hot dogs so that they fit on the cracker with like one blollop of mustard for so he like felt classy. upper class. Oh yeah, yeah, it was classy appetizers. Yeah. You made some great coffee though. And then on the way down from that trip, as we were coming out, you know, coming down in elevation, Evans just like, dude, like this, this we have to do this for Black Rifle. He's like this is so freaking uh, just refreshing. I forgot how you, I think you said therapeutic. Yeah. You're just like, this is so therapeutic that there is like an unlimited amount of our, you know, family, meaning every coffee club subscriber, you know, to Evan is, is family. He's like, there's so many people that need this. And he's like, you know, free range American would be a, a good way for us to have a platform for all that. And I think now it's taken a, taken a few years. Mm-hmm. You guys obviously had a little bit more going, going on at Black Rifle, but now involved with TAC. And yep. each year you've stepped up with TAC to now this year, title sponsor of TAC. Black Rifle has their own range as well. And, you know, if you want to get into archery, the Total Archery Challenge is where, if you're Black Rifle family, it's where you need to be. Yep. Because... You know, BRCC Gives kind of was kind of a concept that came out of a lot of what was going on at TAC when Mm -hmm. we had the Saturday, like, kind of customer appreciation parties. And we were doing raffles in a way to give back, give back, give back. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Gives came to be of, like, how do we actually scale this to a whole new level? So Mm -hmm. now this year, what we're going to do is, you know, we're working with key partners to develop a package to where at these events, you know, people can come in and instead of giving just a straight donation, if you want to, you can say, okay, here's a package to where, you know, like us as knock on, we'll, we'll for surely do it. Where when we, when we make this donation, we're, we're sponsoring a adaptive athlete with 
a full kitted out bow, mm-hmm. everything. And then he's going to get to, he or she is going to get to experience a black rifle event, whether it's going to attack or, you know, they're going to be involved with either a black rifle hunt or attack event or an adaptive athlete shoot to where they're going to get dialed in. They're going to go somewhere where there's epic people there. They're going to get lessons and they're going to get a new mission. And people, people or businesses are going to have the ability to just say like, hey, I want to sponsor four people. Mm. And, you know, they can do this and, you know, and, and maybe those four people know, hey, this is, you know, this is the company or this is the business that sponsored you to get into this. And, you know, it, it's just such a rewarding way because it, like I told you today, I've coached all levels of archery from the highest to, you know, someone that literally just wants to shoot in their backyard for fun. But the one thing that has never failed is like, and Andy was, Andy was actually the first like higher public military person. But right when we shot in the backyard and I gave him lessons and then moved him back to a hundred yards and he was shooting at a hundred yards, like within the first night, he, I could tell it's like he is all in. He shoots bows more than guns. You know, which is kind of crazy, but it like instantly changes life. And I've never had a veteran learn archery correctly, go to go out on a range or on attack or have to like call and say like, hey, bro, what's my loadout for this hunt? What do I need for black bear? I've never went. I mean, I took Evan moose hunting. He'd never been. And then all of a sudden they got this whole new mission and it's they've never not had a life-changing experience with archery. So it's just like, okay, this has to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you just are making it happening. And now, given FRA, like a direction of like, this is our destination for all these people. Yeah, You know, even if it's not bow hunting, fishing, duck hunting, like, you know, you've got some... Well, it represents a lot of what's happening in the company. And it, it, what's happening internally to the people within the company and, and whether it's, you know, myself or Matt or Logan or whomever it is, everything we get into is, is quite literally an, an exemplification of what we're doing. So archery was one of those things where you know, I had a trad bow for a long time. I never really got serious. I, I had built these targets next to my my old roaster where I took all the burlap sacks from coffee and I'd shove them into a bigger burlap sack and then I'd shoot my trad bow into it. Yeah. And I always looked at compound bows like, yo dude, that that thing is confusing as shit. Like (laughs) cams everywhere and limbs sticking out. And like, I just looked at it and I was like, no, like not only no, but fuck no. And uh, Baker Really tried, Baker Levitt really tried. He's like, hey, you got to shoot a compound. You got to shoot a compound. And then I was like, no, not really. I don't, I don't have any interest in it. But once I saw Andy was shooting, I was like, fuck, Andy picked it up. Maybe it is all right. Maybe, maybe it is kind of cool. And that's what literally I think was the, the, the precursor because I know and love Andy. And then I saw him out there with you. And then I was like, well, shit, you know, Joe's shooting archery with you and Andy's shooting archery and Baker's been trying to tell me to fucking shoot archery and everybody in my life has been trying to tell me to shoot archery. Like everybody 
everybody in the world. I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I, I, and this isn't some weird flex where I'm like, I've shot so many rounds. I, I truly, and the, like 2000 till 2015, I was on the range for the last two years of, of my employment at the, at the CIA. I was on the range for 24 days a month, typically. So I was shooting thousands of rounds a month, doing nothing but like shooting paper, shooting steel, shooting inside of a shoot house. Like it was, everything was shooting 24 days a month, take a few days here and there. So I, I was burnt. Like just yeah. literally, I, you know, guys will go like, how can you get burnt out? I'm like, dude, spend two years of your life, thousands of rounds, like teaching, shooting instruction, shooting yourself. And I truly love shooting too. So when you get something that's new and it's, you get the same type of fulfillment out of hitting a target or the center of the target, but you have to relearn. Everything's new and you have to relearn. And it made sense to me. All of a sudden it made sense to me because for me to go and shoot something even out to like 500, I'm not really that impressed. I'm just like, ah, okay. Like, are we going to run it for splits? Are we going to, are we off the clock? (laughs) Like, in no, like for hunters, they're not doing that. But to close the gap from that 500, because I mean, 500 is really somewhat of a chip shot for most, you know, like a 6.5 PRC or, you know, 338 or something like that. It's a chip shot. And so you can, you, you don't even really need to understand wind all that much and your holds aren't that, are, are, they're not that big of a deal. So, you know, 500 is still a, a stretch for most shooters, I think. 500 is just an expectation for most guys that have spent the, the majority of their life shooting. It's like an entry-level goal for a long-range or a It's entry-level goal. Yeah, for a long-range guy. Yeah. 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 yeah, Whereas you don't learn how to hunt at 500. You really don't. Mm-hmm. You learn how to hunt, I think, and I could be wrong, but you have to get inside the 100 to understand how to hunt. And then when you're inside the 60 you have another understanding of like, yeah. this is hunting. Yeah. You don't really know how to hunt unless you're getting inside like the 60. You're getting inside the 60. Yeah. yeah the archery art, forces that. Yeah, the art of bow hunting, I think, and I'd be interested in your take on this, is not so much the mechanics of archery and shooting a bow, but it's how close can I get to that yeah. animal. That's yeah. the skill of bow hunting is getting close. I tell people who don't understand it or are like, oh, hunting, you just kill all the animals. I tell them, I say, take your iPhone and go find a deer, find one in the park. And with your iPhone, get a picture of that deer that fills the whole frame. Right. You Go do that. That's what I do. Right. You know, and that kind of, I think, puts a little shift in perspective of like, oh, yeah, there's more than just lobbing bombs at animals in parks. You are actually working on a skill set, like a, a, a craft to get close to these critters that have evolved to like run the fuck away from you. Yeah. Like that's the art of bow hunting in my mind. Well, it, it, and there's a, there's, a, there's a narrative out there which is, which is accurate if we're talking about um, an academic circumstance where animals are just not that smart, right? Mm-hmm. Like animals aren't that smart. Yeah, they, they, they're, not, they're not doing algebra. Well, got it. 
But they're, they've genetically evolved to not be dead. dead. Yeah. So... They have one job. They have, they have two one jobs. job. Two like, jobs. Two jobs. Eat and fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? like, that's it. Yeah, Probably eat three. and fuck Stay and survive, alive. right? Stay, Stay alive. alive. Because they got to eat Stay and fuck. Stay alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, in order to eat and fuck, you have to be alive. Right. So, like, you know, but that circumstance is really difficult. And for us, as, 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 a, as a species, we're getting further removed from we'll, we'll call it our, our ancestors and our ability to survive based on you know, our pursuit of food, it's, it, it, it forces you to think about, holy shit, this is hard work. It forces you to put yourself into this condition where, oh, for me to, to just feed this machine and stay alive so I can eat and fuck, I have to go out and kill my own food it puts you back into like, I think this different. Caveman. Yeah. I mean, it puts you back into your era. caveman yeah. era. And well, one, it's, it, it's so addicting and it's so fun. It, so it's addicting. like, it's like yeah. chess with the reward of an epic meal. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, wow. I get to eat my opponent mm-hmm. in chess. Which, I mean, sounds a little bit weird, but you'll understand the analogy, right? I mean, but it's, the other thing that I want to say is like, hunters, and I was having this, I was having this conversation with the field ethos guys, right? Yeah. Where, and I completely and 100% agree. It's, hunters should be really proud and happy that they love to hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. it doesn't have to be about using every piece of 100%. the animal. Yeah. It can be like, I'm pursuing a craft that is very difficult. Yes. And I love this. Arguably the hardest. Yeah. So one of the things that I love, and I think we have a real special opportunity here with Black Rifle and with Free Range American, is like, yeah, most of the animals I shoot, I eat and process myself like yeah. 100%. Like I do that. But I also have participated in like helicopter hog hunts right. where I'm on skids with an AR and I'm shooting a lot of pigs yeah. and I'm leaving them in the field. Like there's no eating that happens. And there's a great argument for that because of all the damage hogs cause and the ecological disaster that they mm-hmm. are in Texas. We can be in a position to be unapologetic about that yes. because of the the company you've built. Whereas you get into other outdoor media, like people get wishy-washy. They get like, oh, well, you got to eat every part of the animal. Like, I think we have the benefit of authenticity and honesty. So like we can present all sides of it. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, I'm hiking elk quarters off the mountain because I want to eat that elk, but I also predator hunt and kill the shit out of foxes and coyotes. And I don't do anything with them. (laughs) I just shoot them. And I, I enjoy want a bear it. vest. And, I think yeah. it's fine. Yeah. I want a sweet Bears, bear vest. Bear is delicious, though. Yeah. Bear I is delicious. conversation today. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think with bow hunting, with hunting, with hunting, there's definitely different levels of hunting. I think, like, a lot of gun hunters get into it, and then they either go, like, one of two ways. They either go to a more primitive weapon as a gun hunter to where they make that more of a challenge to get close or they go the other way which is to go further away 
Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And with bow hunting, I feel like, like you guys said, it's one thing, you know, I, I, there's different levels. There's the level of being an outdoor enthusiast and going out and like getting out for the very first time. And I think that's when people get that wake up call of like you said, hey, how to try to get a full frame photo of something with your phone. They right. they realize like, okay, I'm surprised I can't do that. <laughs> they go, you know, they they go all in as an outdoors person and they, you know, they're they're all about, you know, I I only want to hunt public land where, you know, it's there's, you know, I'm given the best chance to everything and and it's, you know, not as controlled as private land right. hunting. But then they also realize you really don't get a lot of experience when it's that tough. And then if you do, you're going to make mistakes. So there's like the outdoors person. Then there's the bow hunter that learns the craft of being able to get within a hundred yards to now you're a bow hunter. And now you have to learn to be a killer, which... There's two stages to being a killer. You have to get to the 50-yard mark. I mean, ethically, I think 50 yards for Western hunters is like ethical. Right. Um, But then once you get in there, now you have to have the composure and you have to put in dedication and put yourself in some like boiling room situations to where now you know how to deal with the fact that you're shaking in your boots and you actually can't have a conversation with someone because your teeth are chattering. (laughs) And now you have to make a shot. So you have to be a killer to get to the 50. Now that you're in that position, now you have to like be on point. You have to be Mm -hmm. a gold medalist as a killer to be able to make that shot. And if you make a shot, on a spot and stock mule deer um, or a spot and stock bear, you're a gold medalist hunter, in my opinion. Like mm. you've you've put together a very, very tough set of credentials and accolades to like do something that's very, very primitive, which I think is just it it gives people a sense of accomplishment that's so far above and beyond like your team winning a you know, state championship in high school or something. It's just, it's rare that someone does that and a reporter goes over and says like, what do you think about today? They're like, I'm so freaking pumped. We worked hard for this. But you freaking take a mic over to someone who's like closed the distance and finally got a lethal shot on a mule deer or sat in a whitetail stand long enough to like make it happen when they see, you know, something rad coming in. They're they're not having a conversation with you for a while. You're you're like, hey, bro, don't fall out of the tree or just breathe for a little minute. Like, congratulations, like soak it in. And uh, yeah, there's just, it's unfortunate that more people don't experience that. But, But one other thing was when you were talking about like what animals do, you know, they've got the three things. What people have is... People have the ability to open up Uber Eats and get food delivered. Like we could get food delivered right here, right now, pretty fast mm-hmm. if if someone got on the app. Is that a hint? Huh? Is that a Hungry? hint? Hungry? <laughs> I'm good for now. <laughs> but imagine if things got bad enough to where you had to go to where you knew there was food somewhere, but you also knew that there was predators and other danger that 
wanted you and knew that that's where you had to go. So then they become, you know, as people, a lot of us might be dumb for the first two, but eventually we're going to get very crafty to be like, okay, we have to learn to move at night or freaking start like sitting there and just looking and listening for an incredible amount of time at this place that I need to go to like survive. And they, they're, they're freaking, their radars are so tuned Mm. to where I think if you're wanting a mission and you successfully complete bow hunting, it like, I've seen just the toughest of dudes not just be like, man, I've, so I thought you, I could handle this. And so it's, you, touched, it's like, you touched on like one of my like uh, uh, talking points, my rant about this. And like, I have, I have friends listening. They're going, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just jump in here. And like, Dude. I am an evangelist for this. You, if you are a new hunter and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I want to get into bow hunting, which fuck yeah, you should. Like get into it. It's awesome. You have to get reps killing things. You have to get kill reps because just like you said, and I know dudes who have, it happened to me with target panic, you draw on an animal. And if that is that first white tailed doe, or if you're lucky enough and you're on a ranch and it's a big bull elk, your nervous system is going to short circuit. Like you're just going to come unglued. And I've had guys through the company who have military experience, like straight up fucking badasses who shot all kinds of animals and they draw a bow and they come unglued because there's something about holding that bow and being at that position. It's just human nature. It happens to everybody. Yeah. And the solution to get over that is to send that arrow and mm-hmm. hit that target. So guys, so people get into hunting and like they, they, they go for that aspirational thing. They want to go kill a, a, a bull elk. They want to kill a sheep. Like that's awesome. Like you should want to do that, but the return on your time and your learning the skill craft is going to be like what we first talked about. Go to Texas and shoot hogs off a feeder. Get those reps. Go do a doe hunt for whitetail and be in a tree stand in a place where you can kill three does. Like mm-hmm. send arrows. You know, I've killed I've killed one elk. I did it this year. It was a cow. And I've been going forever. OTC, public land, like trying to do it. And I just decided three days into that hunt, like the first thing I see, I'm going to, I'm going to send the arrow because I have no reps looking at elk in a peep site. Yeah. And I got to just send it and build that (laughs) muscle memory because what I don't want to happen is to get on that sheep hunt or get on that 400 inch bull and short circuit. Level 3000 berserker mode. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What's What's the biggest bull you've killed? I've never asked you that. Um, I mean, I'm not, that's, that's what's weird is I, I, I'm active with the Boone and Crockett Club and I'm active with Pope and Young, both. But I also am very vocal about I, what they do. It's unfortunate that what they do that isn't score related isn't brought forward more because both of those organizations are very, no, they're very known for score because it is, yeah. you know, you shoot a Pope and Young class, you shoot a Boone and Crockett class. Yeah. And that's how, when someone says, what'd you shoot? Just like you do. Yeah. I was about ready to say, well, I've shot Boone and Crockett elk. Right. So like anybody would know, like, you know, shot a 380 plus, right? Right. So, but I've always told people that 
I've, you know, if, if they have four legs and my excitement level was 10, then I'm shooting. So you that know, was a it's big bull in turkey. Colorado. Yeah, you killed yeah. a big one this year. Yeah. yeah, but but like, and I never scored that. You didn't. No, oh. I don't. I don't score there. I mean, I shot a really big whitetail, and I was with some some good friends, and they wanted to know what it was. Um, but I don't score things mm-hmm. just what did because. The score. You don't mind me asking. I think two ten. <sighs> yeah. yeah, Iowa a two ten typical. No, it was down here. It was down here. Oh, okay. But I know, I know I've shot like stuff that if you were a true trophy hunter, it would, it would matter to some people. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, I'm, I've written about this many times. I feel like one of the best ways to get good at something is, is acclimation. And for mm-hmm. me, target archery was my acclimation. So my saying is, I'm a target hunter to be a better, a better bow hunter and mm-hmm. I'm a better bow hunter because I'm a target archer. Mm-hmm. That like my competitive archery career was based around I want to be the best I can be when I'm drawing back on an animal because in a tournament situation, for me, that was the only thing that could simulate what I feel when I finally get to pull back on an animal. Like when you're... When it when you're in a, a tie and they're like, okay, tied for second place is so and so and so and so, come forward for your tiebreaker. And then like everybody that's at the shoot is watching you, that feeling, that first time, or honestly, join a joining a league at a local archery yeah. shop. And um, so I, we we have so many friends that I coach. And one of the things that I teach is learning to to shoot within your box. And I'll draw a box about half the size of this table. And I talk to them about learning to do this process within this box. And some of, you know, sometimes they understand I'm, there's fundamentals that I'm doing that it's important that I'm restricting them. But I also said, listen, if we we're in a tournament on that target face right there, four of us will have targets on that target face. And you have two feet and there's right. someone in front of you at two feet and there's someone in front of them at two feet. So like just people going into an archery range and shooting a league for the first time where someone is shooting right next to them and you're watching arrow for arrow hit the targets where you know like I shot a four, he shot a five, I'm already down one. You know, then you get a little bit nervous, you shoot a three and he shoots another five. You're like, well, now I'm down three. Right. And, you know, and yeah, it sucks. It, it totally sucks. But eventually, at least for me, I honestly, I never won because I was awesome at winning. I, I won because there came a point where I was tired of losing and I made it like, I just kind of refused to lose, if right. that made sense. I'd like learned how to lose. And then I made this decision of, I got to freaking step up my game. I'm yeah. not on par. And then all of a sudden, I I started competing at that level. And then, hey, as soon as my last archery tournament was over at the end of August at the World Championship, I go into elk season. And guess what? A bull coming in, that feeling was no different than like having a pressure situation yeah. in a match. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I had acclimated myself to where when I put my toe in that water, it wasn't hot. It was just, that's the water. Well, a lot of guys do that in, in competition shooting. 
Yeah. So competition shooting, like high-paced three-gun competition, for instance, it increases your adrenaline load. So you can start to acclimate yourself a little bit more. Now, it's inaccurate to say that it acclimates you to combat. What it does is it just increases your adrenaline load through competition, that it kicks in a survival instinct. Yeah. That allows you, one, to hone your skills under pressure, which is like, it is paramount yeah. being able to succeed. So now you have you know, the, the physical circumstances, the stress of competition, and then you're making mistakes and you're making mistakes that don't you know, affect your life limb or eyesight. It's like, okay, well, I got third or I got 10th or I didn't place or whatever it might be. Um, but a lot of guys do the same thing. So it, it's, it's an easy translation for me to see how that works. Yeah. We compete all the time. So we compete all the time at the shop. Yeah, we can junior meet with each I, other every day. Yeah. Like on something. I'll call Junior, you know, Isaac, Isaac Jr. Like, get out here, let's go. You know, and then we'll talk shit for like, you know, 20 minutes and we'll sling arrows. And it's great. But if you're competitive, you want to win. You're yeah. not, you're not like just slinging arrows with your buddies. Like it doesn't matter. It could be, there could be a thousand people watching. It could be just one other guy in the backyard or behind the the office. It's the same amount of pressure. If you're competitive, you don't want to lose. So it doesn't right. fucking matter. Yeah. Right. I love, that's why I love those total archery challenges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you get to shoot in all these different environments. You're shooting, you know, uphill and downhill. So you get like angles and you've got brush and you're balancing your feet against, you know, decline or incline. You like Got your you got buddies your talking shit. Got, yeah, dude. Yeah, I had I had, I shot more tacks this with being here in mm-hmm. this this uh, summer, excuse me, than I ever have, and I had my best fall with my bow. Right, just sheer number of animals, shots like no bad shots, like just ten ringing stuff, and I directly attribute that to shooting the three or four tacks because also. Because I'm like you, I'm competitive. Yeah. I don't shoot a ton. I have targets in my yard. I shoot a little bit. But when all of a sudden I was going to attack for work, I was like, oh, fuck, I better tune up. So I was shooting more in the yard. So I was practicing between the tacks because of like what you just described. Then the deer season comes and it was like 20 yards. Yeah, it's like, what? Well, that's the great thing with tack. This is how stupid I am, right? I I don't know shit about, I, I do now, but when we, when he, when you first started working with me in archery, I didn't know jack or shit about it. Like John would send me my arrows. I'm totally spoiled, by the way, so I get it. John would show send me my arrows. Then eventually, I started fletching my own arrows and doing the whole thing. But you'd send me basically everything. I'm ready to yeah. go. Like things basically zeroed. Yep. And then I had to start working to figure all this stuff out. But I went to every tack and I was shooting. You know, fifty to hundred. Did was the knock on experience, yeah. which was the first one that I went to officially, and we had a whole like we had honestly all of our I would say higher level friends. We all went that first time. Remember? Oh yeah. I mean, it was it was very cool, and then our followers as a brand got to go, and every target had. One of us, whether yep. it was Bert, Matt Bass, you know, Bert Soren, Matt mm-hmm. Bass, you, freaking Mark Carter was there, Jim Miller was there, you know, Chad Menda. I mean, we had a freaking super awesome time and everybody went up and they were like, holy crap, you know, this isn't shooting the bag at 20 yards. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And, and 
shooting in that environment, well, one, I didn't know, I didn't have a lot of context to the bow hunting community or, you know, the, 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 the tertiary conversations about ethics and shooting and well, you name it. I just, I didn't, I didn't dive into it because yeah. it's like, ah, my friends, you know, Andy and you and all these other guys shoot and we'd shoot 110, 120 mm-hmm. on a constant basis. Like I, I was stretching out to 100 at least three, four times a week. I'd just sling arrows at 100, rep after rep after rep, tons of tacks, like lots of, you know, 10 rings past 90. So it was like, okay, well, I guess I am didn't think necessarily I was good. I just was like, this is, I'm confident in shooting yeah. at this yardage mm-hmm. at these animals. So when I went to Colorado and went hunting, the first elk I shot with my bow was at 94 yards. And which that's is, not some kind of weird… So some kind of weird flex. I didn't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I would have been like, you're not shooting right now. Yeah, like, like right. I, was, I was by myself. I mean, the guide was like eating lunch. And I was like, I'm going to go kill those elk. And he's like, yeah, you are. All right, dummy. See you later, you know? <laughs> and uh, you face, what was when you, you when, when you came from the, like, he had done it and FaceTimed me, but like before the guide had got over there. And he, I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> what, you was, what? what was the guide's reaction when you told him? He's like, the what shot? the fuck did you do? And I was like, <laughs> you told me I could. Well, he didn't think I could. He didn't think I could because it was, they were out in the middle of, you know, this low, low grass. Yeah. And I saw the field. It was like, dude, it, it would have been legit, like with an antelope that like, was bedded facing the other way with like his head behind a sage bush, he'd still say like, all right, go for it. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Like that, you would a hundred percent, especially with a new guy, he'd be just like, yeah, yeah like over out. the back. Yeah. yeah go, yeah. you know, freaking go try it. You know, yeah. go get some freaking get- prickly pear in your balls. Yeah. yeah. Go get, go get some good stocking experience. You're going to blow those things out. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, oh, you know, this is the, this is the end of the line. It's 94 yards. <laughs> From my knees, I pop up on my knees and shoot at 94 yards from my knees. Well, now I know a little bit more about bow hunting. And I know a little (laughs) bit more about archery. And I know how fucking insane that was. But dude, I was only an inch above the heart. So I missed his heart, like the the top, like aorta valve, like by like an inch. And that thing… He died in five minutes. Yeah, like he yeah, did two yeah. circles and basically laid down. And actually, he didn't lay down. He did that that, that side, like, yeah. just the, the side yeah. flop. Just like, okay, I'm, I'm out of commission. In five minutes, he was dead. Yeah. And probably I was faster, like, really. Probably, probably felt like that. Probably felt like know? five minutes. Because I just sat there. And because I kind of, I got really low and it didn't move. I just hit him and instantly I saw blood and instantly I was like, okay, well, we're just going to see what happens. And all the other bulls, they didn't even move. I had to basically go and shoo him off because they didn't even know what the fuck was happening. They just saw him like run around a little bit and then he just dumped out. And, uh, but talking to people afterwards, cause I, I posted that. I was like, I was super, I was super pumped. I was super excited. I was like, dude, check it out. You know, 94 yards. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize it was so controversial for like, oh my gosh. And then you have all these dudes like chiming in, like, you're a piece of shit. Like, I can't believe you do that. I'm like, hey, man. Like, he's dead. (laughs) Like, one. Yeah. 
Like, so it doesn't matter if it's at 30 or 94. I know now. And so I've told myself like, yeah. hey, I, I I did that 94. The game that I'm playing now is like much tighter. Like a close game. Yeah, it's yeah. a close game. So when I was at um, Field and Stream, I did an arrow test. Uh-huh. And we had this thing called the Velocitip. I don't know if you remember that, but it was a field point and it had an accelerometer in it. Just oh, like what's wow. in a cell Seriously? So you could calculate time and flight. You yeah, could calculate yeah. kinetic energy, all of these things. We had a hooter shooter and we tested a bunch of different arrows at like 60 yards to taste spine and flight right. and drift and all that. So the last thing we did, I had a big four by four block and we went out to 100 yards and we had a hooter shooter. It was a Bowtech RPM 360, so a super fast bow with a, a Maxima Carbon Express Red. Carbon right. Express Maxima Red. So like a very, like a 400 grain arrow. So a fast bow, a light arrow, like a speed setup. Yep. Screw that thing on, no human impact, hooter shooter. So you press a button, it's in a press, and yeah. it launches the bow. And we sent that thing. The um, I'm leaning back, that's yeah. what he's telling me. So, so we shot that arrow and that time and flight, and it showed you the drop and fall of the yeah. arrow. The time and flight on that arrow was like 1.033 seconds, and it rised and fell 10 feet <laughs> in, in, yeah. at 100 yards. Yeah. So imagine like a gun guy, imagine like point blank range, <laughs> the tunnel that that arrow is going through. So it's one Mississippi all yeah. the way to the target, and that arrow's fucking climbing and falling 10 feet. The and think about hoop. height of a basketball hoop. Then think about the reaction time of an elk. Yeah. What can an, how far can an elk move in one second? Oh, what wow. can happen in the airspace yeah, to that yeah. arrow? And so like that really put in perspective of me. Like, like I made some bomb ass shots at tack this last year. I did 115 yard yeah. 12 ring, you know, like I, like you, I like to shoot long because it makes the chip shots. But when it comes to like a living animal, oh, yeah. I'm like, there's just, too many fucking variables yeah. that can go wrong in that giant tube of space and time. You know? So there's, I know that now. Yeah. And I was lucky he does, on the first yeah. one. I he know does, now. Yeah. <laughs> this is like yeah. a real valid topic that's worth mentioning for Total Archery Challenge. The name says what the event is. So don't be surprised when there's challenging shots. It's a Total Archery Challenge. The thing is you're trying to like push yourself beyond what you would practice and you feel freaking awesome yeah. when you land yeah. it. It isn't, a, it isn't, you know, trained to be a long distance hunter. Like that's not the name of the event. No. What the importance of learning extended range with archery is there's two th- components to it. One just like with long range rifle shooting the more you the more you extend out the more you magnify mistakes that you're making in technique which with a field point is you know at 100 yards at attack event if your bubbles off if you're gripping the bow wrong you know it might be a matter of like hitting it you know in the neck or missing or hitting in the butt for like hand torque or facial pressure right. if you had a broadhead on that now you have a multiplier that is freaking super extreme yeah. because now you have something on the front of that arrow that is now has some control on steering depending on how it's set up. But what's awesome about this is the reality of bow hunting, which again, this is a platform that allows us to like be honest. And you know, I'm sure there's going to be people that have a problem with this subject. What I feel like is awesome is 
the reality of bow hunting is, at least from my point of view, I want to be as fast to the kill as possible. And sometimes there's reaction time. Like you said, there's a tube of time and space. Mm-hmm. And things can happen within that tube of time and space that are mother nature. They're shooter error. But then on the other side of that, there's an animal that at this point, at least for me, and I've done this a long time and seen a lot of things get projectile shot at them. There's no common denominator for whether or not an animal reacts a certain way to an arrow. Mm. Some do not react. Some react that because they're so sure they're alone, it's like it startles them. You know, it's not that the bow's too loud because it doesn't matter what the sound is. And some turn inside out. Some just freaking pick their legs up as a reaction, like they're scared and the gravity of their body is what's making them drop. They're not like ducking their feet and turning. So there's a lot that can happen down there. So it's never a first choice for a long distance shot. Mm. But even at a close distance, you know, I just posted three days ago, I posted my bull, my early season bull from Utah. And when you watch that, you see where the arrow hits. Because like when the arrow goes and then you, what you really see is you see the bow fire and then you see this knock sticking in the, in the elk. And it's very far back and a little bit high, but the animal did drop, which is why it's high. And he also brought that, you know, in super slow motion with a camera, you can see brought that leg forward. So it wasn't an ideal impact, but that shot was 32 yards. Right. And that bull elk was a lone bull early season with no one else around him. He was, I mean, he was picking up his head even at a squirrel, like mm-hmm. chewing on bark. So I, I wanted that shot super close and he still reacted. But like, as soon as that happens and in my mind, I'm like, I don't know if that might be a marginal shot. At that point, I need to be total archery challenge ready right. to where if that thing goes 60 more yards and stops, my responsibility of a hunter is to make another shot mm-hmm. and, and, and hopefully be 100% lethal because the worst feeling as a bow hunter is making a confident shot but having an unconfident impact and not having a successful recovery. And that's like a whole other aspect of of this, like to where you really like, for example, you, if you had enough times where you did not have a successful recovery in your mind, like me, I would have just said like, I'll play this out again tomorrow. Right. Because I know what it's like when you have all of your friends come for a whole day and try to grid search something because you don't have blood. And then, you know, and everyone says like the hit's marginal. Let's just leave them till tomorrow. So then you got to try your best to sleep some, which isn't going to happen. I had a spell where I made bad shots and lost what would have been the first and second biggest whitetail of my life. Never found them. And it wasn't a long shot. It wasn't, it was just, I blew it. Right. Right. And that settled in so deeply, like it ruined like two or three seasons. And then finally what I did to get over it was, I was like, I just have to shoot a lot of does. 
Right. I stacked hunts to get those kill reps like I was talking about. But the, the I don't ever want to like sound like a moralist, like no one should take a shot past this. Like I think it's, yeah. you, you got to figure it out yourself and it's a personal choice. But I want people thinking about it so they don't have to go through that like wounded animal yeah, fucking yeah. bullshit that well, I that, had to deal point. with. That's a good point. Like I've had this conversation with a lot of guys because they're like, well, that's that's too far. I'm like, well… Yes and no, right? Which is, I agree because I'm I'm shooting things that are, I'm closing the distance because I think it's actually makes me a better hunter to understand exactly how I need to get a little bit tighter. Uh, but I have lots of reps past 100. Like, yeah. Like thousands of reps now past 100. I'm comfortable with shooting a long distance. Now, I, I understand cavitation. I understand, you know, the, the physics of the arrow. So I'm not a complete moron when it comes to, you know, how is the arrow going to impact the animal? What what kind of, uh, what can happen in space and time? I I understand the consequences. Plus I've shot a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between the guy that only shoots like 10 arrows a year making that shot. Yeah, Even making a shot at like 30. There's no argument to that. And then, and that's the whole thing. It's like, hey dude, I, I have an archery range Behind my building, yeah. I have an, ar- an archery range every, everywhere where you go. Yeah, what's I have the, a bag. The ramp shot, one hundred and twenty yards yeah, from the door. Exactly. Yeah, I have three yeah. D targets in my backyard. I had three D targets in the back of the facility. I have three D targets like up on the BRCC ranch. I had a three. I had a three D block in this building when we were gutting it, and I would like rip off you know fifty arrows a day during lunch. There's a huge difference between yeah. somebody that's committed. To, you know, committed to to the center of the target. It's like you taught me something last year, or you told me something last year that Joe and I were talking about too. Where where you have the silverback, got the knock to it, got the two smooth. So now I just carry all three of those stupid things, <laughs> yeah. and I just grab whichever one comes out of my pocket and shoot it because yeah. I don't I don't care. Because I'm trying to get consistency in the shot. I'm trying yeah. to get, regardless of whatever I'm shooting and whatever release, it shouldn't matter. It should be able to hit what I'm shooting at. Yeah. Now, yesterday I shot like shit, but like the too smooth, it, it took some getting used to. Like oh, that, yeah. it takes some real, it takes a lot of concentration on. I don't know how you guys hunt with those. I mean, I know a lot of people do, but I can't do it. All three, the three releases that we offer, and the back strap is in there for those who prefer a wrist strap, but it's still a tension-based release. They're all, there's like three different aspects of making good shots. I mean, there's having a surprise shot and pulling through. Some people are more confident trying to get to that when they have some control, which is what what a, a trigger, you know, a thumb trigger or a knock to it. That's what it is. Then there's a whole new discipline of saying, okay, I want you to seek the best shot you've ever made with a knock to it when you know in the back of your mind you do have control to make it go off if you want to. Now I want to give you a release to where you're going to, you can't, you you could make it go off whenever you want to, but to shoot it properly, you're going to have to trust yourself and you're going to have to start telling that little head and that little voice in the back of your head that says like, you're on there, just shoot you're going to have to tell them like, shut up. Yeah. You know, 
And, and so then you learn to pull through and now you learn a dynamic shot that's a full surprise and that you have to be patient with. Then when you go to a hinge, now you learn to take those other two components and slow everything down to where you're able to like be more patient and wait while those things develop. And then once you go that full circle and you get to that hinge where you're like, you know, I'm not going to freaking rip twist this thing off. I've got to, I've got to be here and, and I've got to, even yesterday when I was shooting, because I haven't shot long distance in a while, I've been stuck at 20 yards. There's definitely a voice in my head that's saying like, you're holding still enough, like get this thing going, like get it going, get it going, get it going. And I have to say, shut up, dude. You know, I call that voice in my head, my middle name, Paul, because I was bad as a kid. And <laughs> my, like I went by Paul because my parents like Paul, but like to me, that's the dude that like accidentally burned our house down. So when that <laughs> happened, like I told my mom, I want like, can everyone just call me John since it's really my first name? So I always like Paul is who tells me to freaking rip the trigger. And in my head, I'm like, shut up, Paul. You burned the freaking house down, bro. I'm not trusting you. I, I want to hear that story. I don't know, I don't know that one. Yeah, Playing with listen, matches. Yeah, yep, exactly. <laughs> But then once you get to there and you learn that patience with a, with a hinge, well, now, now you have the ability to, to do the same thing with all three. And like Evan said, regard, like if someone just said, if you, if you told him, I don't have any releases, you have one. If he said, yeah, I've got a knock to it, I'd be like, cool. If he says, yeah, I've got a too smooth, I'd be like, yep, sweet. If someone said, no, all I've got is my extra silver bag, I'd be like, bring it over here. Mm. Because... Once you like learn to make the exact same shot with three different genres of teaching aids, that's when you have put your toe into mastery mm. of like, you know, actually mastering that. And that's so important to, you know, like you still have this small voice in your head that says, I don't know how people shoot a hinge. The thing is, the next step of shooting a hinge isn't the patience. It's learning how to commit to making a perfect shot faster. So like there's times where I've shot stuff walking and people say, how do you do that? My finger's on the trigger and I'm moving just like I would on a, on a skeet going through the air or a clay target. But I am committing 100% to mm -hmm. like making my movement at a faster rate and being 100% committed if my pin's moving more or moving the whole time, I'm just like, I have to be, I have to pull through this at a different rate. Some of the best scores ever shot in outdoor archery are with hinge releases. And the wind at 70 and 90 meters is freaking, like when someone shoots a 350 plus at 70 meters in the wind, like mm -hmm. you've been to the Ben Avery facility? No, no. Have you never been there? No. In, in North Phoenix? No, I haven't. So... Um, the first like technical, technically the first international gold medal I ever won was at, at the Arizona cup, which is like the first one of the year. And it's in, at the Ben Avery center. I mean, you've been in Phoenix, you know, yeah. like what the wind does. There's like little dust devils, like ripping yeah. through. I shot a hinge. So my, I mean, there was times where my pin was blowing to the next bale. 
and right. back. And you have to just be like, just pull, dude. <laughs> like subconscious is wanting to bring that back and you have to trust it to bring it back. And you, and you just have to pull through. So here's, my, here's my question and you can help me with this. So I call my release, I've had the same release probably eight, maybe 10 years. It's a, it's a trigger and I call it the security blanket. Because there's something about putting that on. It's like the only piece of kit in my archery thing. I've had six bows in eight years, you know, and it just works for me. And I've used, your releases are dope. I've used a bunch of releases. And when I'm shooting targets, no issue. Like, and it's a hundred percent more accurate in my experience to use a back tension than a, than a trigger. But when it comes to a hunting scenario, like there's just something, something gummed up in the works where I all of a sudden don't trust this thing. You know, like I all of a sudden don't trust that. I need that like control element of yeah. like hit the lever, the thing goes bang. Yeah. I've never shot the uh, wrist, the wrist strap. What are those? Yeah, yeah uh, trigger. Yeah, yeah I've trigger never release. shot the wrist strap trigger. The only release, I've, the releases I've shot have been the knock to it. The silverback and now yeah. the two smooth. I've never shot one of those with the wrist strap. Never, and I think it's probably like honestly, a good way never, to go. Never about tried. It. No, this yeah. is this is so valid because when people see the people that I have like mentored or brought into the archery community, I have a very specific way of how I teach them. And yeah, there's a lot of them that within a week or two they like go to a thumb release, but they also have already been taught like what that is. And I feel like someone like Evan, who's never done it that way. Yeah. And then I've had to reprogram that out of his brain. Like if you start that way, you will be a better archer and you're going to be like, you're going to be shooting shots that a lot of your buddies who have struggled with a wrist strap and target panic their whole life and don't, and like come from a background like me of, if I can hit a paper plate four out of five times on a bale of hay, like I'm ready to go hunting. Like there, if you put a paper plate at a hundred yards with most of our people, they're just gonna be like, "All right, I'm down with that," and they're gonna freaking rip shots. Like I said, mm-hmm. Andy first day shooting hundred. Yeah. Evan within you know first day or two he's shooting hundred. Like if you work through it and you commit to that process, it doesn't matter the distance. And I tell people, you know, bullseyes get bigger the further out they go. When someone says, hey, dude, I, you know, I freaking hit the freaking thing at a thousand yards with my rifle. They don't have a freaking birdie steel plate out there. It's a freaking saw blade or a gong. Yeah. You know, it's growing with proportion. So if you do the same principle technique that you're doing at 18 meters, which is where I train all through the winter, once it, that, Target goes from the size of a dime to now it's the size of a paper plate at 100 yards. It's just proportionally growing as my distance, ex, you know, extends. But I have to just focus on the same exact process. Right. Uh, it's, it's it's interesting to me because I, and I take that back. So I'll rewind. I did shoot that, the trigger uh, wrist I gotta make sure I make my plane too. One time, I know we're gonna capstone this. Like one time when I went out with Evan Williams from Hoyt, yeah, we did like a. So the correction to that, just in case anybody's listening, also knew that I went out there and shot with that. But that was like the first time I'd ever shot. It's windy as shit. Shot a bunch of arrows. They're all garbage. Like not. No offense to Evan because he's an incredible human being, but 
this whole process of like the silverback, too smooth, those two releases, if I have problems with my other release, which is the knock to it, I go back to the silverback and it'll tighten my groups back up, yep. which is yeah. it also being able to self-diagnose mm-hmm. what's going on and then change something. So you you it might be as simple as like changing a release because you're like, man, I don't know. I've my stance is good. I think my grip is good. Like I've got the same, you know, uh, memory point or whatever. What, what do they call that? As far as like anchor, anchor. Yeah, I've got anchor. the same anchor. Like everything feels good. Okay, I'm just going to switch around my release. I've I, I've seen it every time. My groups start pulling out a little bit from you know my trigger on the knock to it, yeah. and then I'll go to the silverback. Or I'll go to the too smooth and then I'll go back to the trigger and my groups go, they suck right back up. Yeah. It's fucking wild. Yeah. It's it's like it's so wild. And now, well, recently I've been shooting, all my groups are pretty consistent. Like I, I don't really notice a difference now between them. So that means I'm either just inherently bad across the board or I'm pretty consistent with all the releases, which yeah, I think I, is probably the the. Yeah. the, the I, I've never thought about that, but I really like that idea of using different releases because what you're doing is you're training a skill set. You're yeah. not training a dependence on a mechanical piece of your kit, right? Well, what's so important to me, especially for military guys, like this finger, this finger for you guys has been in a lot of like high pressure situations and right. with a gun and like lock time on a gun. It's very different if this thing gets a little jumpy. Obviously, you guys have put in dummy rounds to like try to tame that down. But this finger also flips light switches. Yeah, yeah. All the time. It freaking pokes a phone. Like gets a text out fast. It picks a booger and flicks it. Right. Like this finger is like, it's got a, it does whatever it wants. And it's freaking (laughs) pokey fast. In its own mind. The thumb it's used to freaking holding on to stuff right. and like letting things develop yeah. or save your life. So that's why for me, the thumb is a, has a, these are all brothers or sisters. Yeah. And this gotcha. sucker right here is a troublemaker. <laughs> you know, this one rarely comes out, yeah. but he's got an attitude. You know, this, comes this, out one's a lot. All about, this one's all about commitment. Yeah. This one's about not getting broken, which mine, you know, doesn't right. even go back. This guy just like holds on and saves everybody's life. So for me, like going to the thumb makes a difference. You heard it from John. So go to the thumb. (laughs) Uh, Mike Shea, Free Range American. Go check him out. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Good times. I I feel like we've talked for like five hours too. John Dudley, knock on in. We're the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Thanks. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Jump titties, boy!